Thanks, Bill, for um, for reading that passage from John 16. Um, the the truth of this passage is that God has sent the Helper. God has sent the Helper to us. We've been looking at um, John 13, 14, 15. Now we're in John 16. In fact, we're going to, after the first of the year, we're going to keep on going into John 17. Um, so we're, we're kind of right in the middle of this, um, getting close to the end of this whole whole passage where Jesus teaches his disciples um, the important things that, that they need to know um, before he goes to die, before he um, is, dies on the cross, before he's buried and before he's resurrected and exalted um, in the ascension. And so we're learning, and I think we've been learning along the way, um, some various uh, different truths. Uh, we have learned that um, Jesus has called us to serve one another. Um, we've learned that um, in serving um, one another, that we're oftentimes going to serve those who betray us or reject us, um, just as it happened with Jesus. Um, we have been called to love one another. Uh, we've learned that Jesus has prepared or is preparing us a place, and he told his disciples, I'm going to go, I'm going to leave you, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Um, we looked at that the verse of the week, 1 Corinthians 15. What is 1 Corinthians 15 all about? It's about the resurrection. It's about the truth of Jesus' resurrection. It's about the truth that we will be resurrected and that we will have a place with God the Father. And so we, we saw that in the verse of the week. Um, we, uh, we have learned that Jesus is going to um, send uh, the Holy Spirit to us. We've been looking at that in various uh, ways uh, up until this point. We've learned that we must abide in Jesus, that He is the vine, we are the branches, we abide in Him, we live in Him, we take nourishment from Him. Um, we have learned uh, once over and over, we've seen the command to love one another for various reasons. We have learned that Jesus intends us to have peace. He intends us to have joy, not sorrow. And uh, we've learned last week that uh, the world hates Christians. <laughs> and we didn't, we didn't talk about that in a, in a political way. We don't have an agenda here of, of us versus the world. We have the words of Jesus here that says, the world, its moral rebellion against God, in its rebellion against God, not only hates what Jesus stands for, not only hates the idea that they're accountable to God, but it hates those who stand for Jesus and those who stand for His truth. He said those things to keep the disciples from falling away because he wanted them to continue to bear witness to the truth, to bear witness about Jesus. Then we hear him say these things about the Holy Spirit, the helper, the helper that is coming, that 
at least for the disciples at that time, was coming into the world, hadn't come yet, they hadn't experienced the Helper yet, but we, on this side of the cross and this side of His resurrection and His exaltation, and this side of the event of Pentecost, we have the Holy Spirit who are in Christ as well. So, why does he say all of these things? It's a good idea to, to, read, them, to read the Bible and, and to ask some questions, not only what is he saying, but why does the Bible say what it says? I'm going to reread some of these passages, some of these verses and phrases as we're going through um, that, uh, that Bill just read. But as I do so, I'm gonna, we'll, we'll see... Uh, how they relate to us today. But he said, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Jesus was with his disciples. Jesus um, essentially uh, had, had been there for them, had equipped them, had given them all the things that, that they needed, had, had showed them, revealed them truth. Um, and... Now is the time where he's saying, uh, I didn't say these things at the first, at first, uh, at the beginning and during my ministry, because I was with you. But he said, now I'm going to him who sent me, and he's said this many times up, up to this point, I'm going to the Father, and he says, none of you ask me, where are you going? Now, if you've been following along in the series, and if you've missed some of these, that's fine. you can go back and you can listen to them recorded from our website. And you can fill in some of the gaps. But I found this verse 5 actually somewhat troubling when I read it. Verse 5, when he says, I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? Because I thought, back to John 13, verse 36, when um, Simon Peter said to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? <laughs> And here's Jesus saying, none of you are asking me where are you going? Didn't Peter already ask that question? Didn't Thomas already re, uh, repeat the idea in um, uh, chapter 14, uh, verse 5, when he said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? What is Jesus getting at? Is this just some mistake? Did he, Jesus forget the conversation that happened moments before? Or did he mean something else by it? I think he meant something else by it, actually. John was a good writer, and he wouldn't make mistakes um, of putting contradictory elements into his story. Uh, Jesus wasn't forgetful. He didn't have short-term memory loss. The disciples, when, they, when, when, when Peter asked in John 13, 36, where are you going? <laughs> He was essentially asking uh, God, or Jesus, um, what about us? <laughs> uh, what about our feelings? What about what's going to happen to us? Um, you're talking about going some, somewhere. Um, where are you going? In other words, why are you leaving us in this, in this state? I was reading a commentator and he, he pointed out it'd be kind of like a, a child who's 
um, father comes to him and says, I'm, I'm going to be going. And some of you can identify with that. You know, I'm, I'm going out to work. i got some work to do. I'll be gone for a few days. Um, I've seen soldiers um, depart from their kids. I'll be back in 12 months, hopefully, Lord willing. 18 months. Um, we've seen it happen. You've probably experienced it before too. And you're leaving and the child kind of doesn't understand what's going on. And he may ask, Daddy, where are you going? Where, where, is, where is Iraq? Or where is this you know, town that you're going to go visit? Or, and he doesn't want a lot of information about that. What he's trying to communicate is, I'm going to be alone. I'm going to be without you. Well, why? Why does it have to be like this? Jesus, I think that's what he's trying to, to get at. And he says, you guys are so concerned with what's going to happen to you because you're going to be alone. You don't, know what, you don't know what life is going to be like. But you're not really asking the heart question. You're not really all that concerned with where I am going and what that's going to mean for you and how that's going to affect you. But he said in verse 6, but because I have said these things to you, Sorrow has filled your heart. See, you guys, are, you guys are so sorrowful. You're so worried. You're so concerned. You have so much anxiety because of what I've told you, because I'm going to be away from you. But the fact is, the truth is, and he uses this phrase in verse 7, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. I'm leaving it's better for you that I go away. How many of you would say that to your children? <laughs> it's better for you that I go to Iraq. I didn't say that to my girls when I went there in 2009. That's not what I said. In fact, I was, uh, I was concerned. It was when my father-in-law, Jim, said to me, kind of took me aside when all the family was gathered together and I was getting ready to get on a bus and get on a plane and then and I'll fly across the world. And he said, you know, don't worry about your family. Don't worry about Cheryl and the girls. We're going to take good care of them. That was a relief to me. Probably more than anything else that happened during that day and that experience. That moved my heart the most. Because I knew that he was touching on the thing that concerned me the most. I wasn't worried about going getting blown up. I wasn't worried about going off and being on a mission and, and getting shot and killed. I wasn't worried about those things. I was worried about my family and what was going to happen to them. But <laughs> I never would have thought to say to them, it's better for you that I go. How could it be better for Jesus, or excuse me, for the disciples, for Jesus to leave them? Well, he says it right here. It is to your advantage that I go away. For, here's the reason. For if I do not go away, and the meaning is, I am going to go away, the helper will not come to you. But he's saying, he is going to come to you. And then he says, but if I go, and I'm going to go, right? I will send him to you. So, why is Jesus going and the Helper coming a benefit for disciples? 
Why was it a benefit for those disciples? And why might it be a benefit for us? I mean, have, that, have you ever um, imagined what it might be like to be one of the disciples or to just be there in first century Palestine and think, oh, if only, if only I could just see Jesus in person. Man, if I would have been there, I would have followed him. I, I mean, wouldn't it be amazing just to hear the words directly from Jesus' mouth? Wouldn't that be everything? But Jesus is saying, it's to your advantage that I go away. These three years that you've had with me have been wonderful. But it's going to be better for you that I go away. Didn't he say that earlier? When he said to them, when he said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father? It's going to be better for you. You're going to do greater things because I'm leaving. How? Why? Because he's going to send the helper to us. So I know, um, I, I heard that one of our families is, has, been, um, has been viewing the, the Star Wars movies. Some people for the first time, right? Um, so many of you have seen those movies, right? You remember the first, if you remember the first Star Wars movie, I, I hope I'm not giving anything away. I'm hoping we're all on the same page here. Um, but, and, um, I, but I think it illustrates something important. Remember the scene in which Obi-Wan Kenobi is face-to-face with his old student, his old, you know, protege, but who's now Darth Vader. And they're standing there face to face and they're getting ready to have this kind of old man lightsaber duel, right? And, um, and Darth Vader's saying he's threatening things. And what, what, did, what, did, what did Obi-Wan Kenobi say? If you strike me down, I shall be more powerful than you can imagine, right? How could he say something like that? That's crazy, right? I mean... You strike me down, I will be more powerful. How is he going to be more powerful? And there's Luke, right, after, after it happens. Spoiler alert, right? And Luke says, no! He's always crying about something, right? And he can't believe that his, his friend and his, his master who was teaching him so much is now gone. But what do we, what do we find out later? Well, the story goes on. And later on, Luke hears his voice, right? He hears the voice of Obi-Wan. And Obi-Wan is guiding him and directing him and speaking to him. And it's like, no matter where Luke goes, Obi-Wan's with him. He's not limited by proximity. He's not limited by physical space anymore. And now Obi-Wan can, can communicate with Luke wherever he goes, right? Okay, now... It's just a movie, and it's just a story. But does it il- might it illustrate something of what might be going on here? Okay, don't read too much into the Star Wars movies. But could it illustrate something about the effect that Jesus' absence would have on his disciples and how the disciples would be helped by him being gone? Because when Jesus is gone, he's out of the picture... 
He ascends into heaven and he's at the right hand of God right now. I don't know where that's at. I've said this before. Maybe, it's, he, maybe um, the throne room of God is in another dimension or in another part of the multiverse. I don't know where he's at. But right now, according to God's word, Jesus is alive in his resurrected body and he's in the throne room of God. And we're not there. So how is that good for us? It's because He sent the Helper. He sent the Holy Spirit, the Helper who came to us and has come to us. And now, how does Jesus speak to us? Well, we have His Word. We have the words recorded in the New Testament. And that's, number one, our source for Jesus. And what the Holy Spirit then does is He speaks to us through the Word and He says, this Word here in John 16 is for you. And you need to hear it and you need to do something about it. And then He shows us how to do it and how to do something about it. And we go, for instance, we think, Jesus, I have sorrow in my heart. In fact, I've got sorrow that's filling and has filled my heart. It's like there's, there's not room, much room for anything else but sorrow. So, what does the Holy Spirit say to us through the word here? He says to us, we need to empty our hearts of sorrow and fill them with Jesus. Fill them with His truth. Fill them with His promises. Fill them with the joy and the peace that comes from knowing Him. And we say, well, that's great. Well, what about tomorrow? We do the same thing tomorrow. (laughs) We wake up and we go, I have sorrow because not all of my problems are fixed. Not all of the scenarios in my life have worked out. What do I need? The Holy Spirit speaks to us and says, you need more of Jesus and more of His promises. In fact, you need to go beyond John 16. You need to go to Acts. You need to go to Romans. You need to go to Nehemiah. You need to go to the Psalms. You need to go to Leviticus or Numbers of all places. And you need to hear me speak there too. You need to hear my voice. The Holy Spirit speaks to us throughout Scripture. He speaks to us and we listen. And our sorrow turns to joy. We receive comfort. That's just an example. And maybe it's an example that you need to have. Well, what does the Holy Spirit do? Okay? So, let me go down a list. This is a simple list because it's just based on observations from the text. The Holy Spirit will come. Number one, the Holy Spirit will come. We've seen that in these first few verses here. Jesus said He's going to send the Holy Spirit. He promises, and what He promises, He delivers on. He said the Holy Spirit will come to His disciples. The Holy Spirit did come to His disciples. About ten days after Jesus ascended, the Holy Spirit came on His disciples, empowered them for the mission of sharing about Jesus, the mission of witnessing. And He does the same thing for us. He comes. He will come, and He does come to Jesus' disciples. Here's what else He does. He convicts the world. Look at verse 8 with me. It says, And when He comes, He will convict the world. What is He going to convict the world about? 
He's going to convict the world about sin and about righteousness and about judgment. And then he explains somewhat of what that means. Verses 9, 10, and 11. And I like to read um, and study and preach from the English Standard Version. Um, so if I would, let me just take a little aside and talk about versions of the Bible. There are a lot of versions out there, right? You can go to a place like Bible Gateway and you know, hit the drop-down menu and you'll hit about 30 different English versions that are available. Some of them are old, some of them are newer, um, and you can read the Bible in all kinds of different uh, translations and different versions. And every one of them is going to say something very similar, and then they're going to say a lot of things a little bit differently. And the, this is one of those these verses, verses 9, 10, and 11, are verses that, in all the different translations, they say things quite a bit differently. Because there are simple little words in the original language, but they mean a whole lot of different things in English. They have a lot, a wide range of meanings. So here I'm going to just try to explain, the best I can, what I think Jesus was getting at in verses 9, 10, and 11. And then you can test me on it and check your commentaries and you know, see if you agree or not. He will convict. The Holy Spirit will convict. He's going to come. He will convict. And he's going to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. In verse 9, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. He's going to convict the world about their own sin. About their own sin. And their sin is that they don't believe in Jesus. So, here's the thing. There's a lot of sins in the world. <laughs> we have, um, <clears throat> and in our culture, there are a lot of pet sins. Like the things that really turn us off. Like, we don't like suicide bombers. Like, that's a, we don't like that at all. And then in, in most of our evangelical, gospel-centered churches, um, we get really nervous about sexual sins. And we don't like those either, Right? And so, there's all these things that, that, that people get on their little hobby horses about and they get their little pet peeves about. This sin or that sin or the other sin. But what does Jesus talk about? I'm going to convict the world of sin because they do not believe in me. There's the root sin right there. You want to talk about a sin that will not be forgiven? A sin that... Um, will leave you devastated, a sin that will lead you to destruction. All these other sins are destructive as well. And they'll be forgiven. But believing in Jesus is the ultimate. Because they do not believe in me, I'm going to convict them about that. Why do you think that we have so many people who are who are um, sometimes violently or at least um, aggressively anti-Christian or anti-Jesus or anti-God. And we, get, we use that great term, atheist, right? They're against God. Why do we, why do we come across people like that? I think it's because God, uh, because the Holy Spirit was sent to convict us about that very thing. And so the world is going to fight, fight, fight as hard as they can against that. They do not believe in me. 
He's going to convict the world concerning righteousness as well. Well, whose righteousness? The righteousness of Jesus? The righteousness of God? Or their own righteousness? I think that's probably what he's getting at. And I have uh, good authority um, uh, from a a, a reputable commentary source um, and scholar that that's what he's trying to get at as well. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will no longer, or and you will see me no longer. Concerning the righteousness of the world, what kind of righteousness does the world have? Well, just look around you. What is what are the things that uh, unbelievers value? What are the things that they value? What are the things that they say um, make them good people? Um, Maybe it's. Uh, on one hand, maybe it's, well, we do all of these good charitable things. Well, uh, we're helping the poor. Well, we're, we're, we're sending shoes um, to third world countries. Um, well, we're doing this and we're doing that. We're doing all of these wonderful good activities. And we can do all of those things without Jesus. So what's the big deal? Isn't that righteousness enough? And so they will say, well, really, honestly, when... If God is real, and I die, and I go stand before Him, um, I think I'm going to be okay. Because I've been a good person. What is that? That's their own righteousness. Their own rightness. Their own justification. I've lived a good life, so God's going to be okay with me. On the other hand, we might say, well, no, the righteousness that, that we need to focus on is Do we believe the right things? Do we have all the right doctrine? Do we have all the right religious practices? Um, Have we we set ourselves uh, apart enough from the world? Have we segregated ourselves enough? Do our kids go to the right schools? Do we participate in the right Christian religious activities? And then we set up our own righteousness apart from... Jesus and His righteousness. Either way, the righteousness of good works in the world or the righteousness of some other kind of religious activity are not going to be enough because Jesus is going to the Father. And what does that mean? He's going to the righteous one. He is going to be in God's presence where He will be exalted and where, where everybody else's righteousness is going to be laid bare before Him. The writer of Isaiah said, our, our righteousness is like filthy rags. That's one of the translations says. Filthy rags, that, too, too graphic to describe um, in this context. But we can talk about that later. Something filthy, something, dis- something disposed of. That's our righteousness before a holy God. And when Jesus goes to be with the Father, all of our righteousness, whatever good things that we've done, are going to be nothing compared to that. And the Holy Spirit's going to convict the world about that to show us through the witness of the Spirit, through the witness of His people, through, the, through our witness, that their righteousness is not good enough. Then he says, verse 11, concerning judgment. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Well, what judgment? 
concerning the fact that they will be judged, (laughs) concerning the fact that God is going to judge them, or concerning their own judgment. Maybe it's their own judgment. What did the world do when Jesus came? Oh, some of them received the message, right? We talked about that. Some heard the message, responded to it. Some of, of, of God's or Jesus' people, the, the Jewish people, responded to it. And they said, you are the Christ. We're going to follow you. We're going to believe in you. We, we trust you. You are the one we've been waiting for. But others cast judgment on Jesus. And so what did they do? They said, we don't believe he's what he says he is. We don't believe his words. We don't believe he's the promised one. We don't believe he's the righteous one. So we're going to turn him over. We're going to judge Jesus. And we're going to judge his followers with our own judgment. With our own um, standards. And what does Jesus say about that? He says, they don't realize that the ruler of this world, the enemy of souls, the devil himself, has already been judged. We saw the ruler of the world a few weeks ago when Jesus said, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming. And what did Jesus mean by that? The ruler of the world is coming. The enemy is going to have a great victory. He is going to try to put me to death And he's going to try to stop my work. He's coming. And he's going to come when I die on the cross. And it's going to be the day, we call Good Friday now, but it's going to be the day of the the enemy's victory, seemingly. But he says, he has no claim on me, though. Jesus said, the ruler of this world's coming. He's going to try to have a victory over me. But guess what? He doesn't have a claim on me. He doesn't have any authority on me. I do as the Father has commanded, so that the world may know that I love the Father. I'm doing this in obedience to God for His plans and His purposes. The world judges Jesus, but they don't realize that they have already been judged, that their ruler has already been judged, that Satan has already been judged. Um, I don't know how many of you have either read um, the series of books on Harry Potter or you've seen some of the films. Um, And certainly I don't want to make a judgment call. I'll leave that up to you whether you think you want to see it or not. Um, But I will say this. There is a scene at the end of the books in which our hero, the Harry Potter, makes a, a great sacrifice. And in that moment of sacrifice, the enemy, Voldemort, thinks that he's won a great victory. Thinks that the battle has won. I finally defeated this kid who has been the source of all of my frustrations and has, all, and has prevented me from having dominion over this world the way I want to have dominion and authority. Turns out the tables were turned. It turns out that things were not the way that he thought they were. And it was the sacrifice itself that caused um, the tide to change. 
We saw that the same uh, when I read uh, a few weeks ago from The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. We saw how Aslan sacrificed himself. And and that moment of victory, right, turned out to um, to be a false victory, a false hope for the enemy. And it was actually the very thing that made all of the the power of, of darkness and evil work backwards. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged, <laughs> the ruler of the world didn't realize he was judged. And he was thinking he's going to work a great victory. And the world judges Jesus and thinks, we know best. Our standard is right. And they don't realize that their judgment is an error. He will convict the world concerning sin. He uh, comes. He will guide his disciples, and he does. He will speak to his disciples, and he does. And he will glorify Jesus, and he does. Look with me at the last few verses in our remaining time. Verse 12, he says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Oh, I, I, what were these things? I, I so wish that Jesus would have, you know, said, okay, here, I know you can't bear them, but here, I'm going to write them all out, and, and so you'll have them. But then what does he say, 13? When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all the truth. The Holy Spirit guides His disciples. Let me tell you how He guided the disciples. After Jesus rose from the dead after he was ascended. Um, uh, the disciples went about teaching and preaching. They went about telling people about Jesus. They went about bearing witness to them. They told their friends and their neighbors. They told their co-workers. They went from town to town. They said, this is Jesus. This is who he is. This is what he's done. This is what he's done in my life. And what did the Holy Spirit do in them? He guided them to record Jesus' words. He guided them to record Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He guided them to record the book of Acts. He guided Paul to write Romans and 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians and Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, right? He wrote 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. He wrote the little book of Philemon. He... uh, he inspired one man, we don't know who it is, to write Hebrews. He, res- he inspired and, and the Holy Spirit worked with James to write down that little letter. And he inspired the brother of Jesus whose name was Jude or, or Judas or Judah, um, probably more like um, what he, they probably called him in the first century. But we have his little book called Jude. He inspired Peter to write two letters that were recorded. He inspired John not only to write this gospel, but also to write three other letters, two of them very small. And he also worked in John to reveal to him the revelation, the apocalypse that closes out the Bible. What did the Holy Spirit do? He guided his disciples into the truth. It wasn't just these particular stories, but it was all this other truth about who Jesus was and how Jesus and His work was related to the Old Testament Scriptures. How Jesus and His work was related to um, the churches and the things that they were going through. And we have the New Testament because the Holy Spirit guided the disciples. 
But He does the same thing with us. Remember what I said earlier? As we read these words in the Old and the New Testament, everywhere we read, the Holy Spirit is guiding us, showing us what He wants us to understand, guiding us into truth. Why? Because the Holy Spirit doesn't speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak and He will declare to you the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit guides us. The Holy Spirit speaks. He speaks what He hears from Jesus. He doesn't make up His own story. We need to be very careful. I'll just say this. We need to be very careful when somebody comes to us and says, well, the Spirit told me X, Y, Z. And if what the Holy Spirit told them sounds a little funky, like, um, where is that in the Bible? Or... How does that fit in with what I already know from here, from this, this word right here that's written down? I would wonder, what's, what spirit are you listening to? Which, which spirit spoke to you? Because the Holy Spirit doesn't speak on His own authority. He doesn't make things up. He doesn't reveal another testament. He doesn't reveal another revelation. He doesn't say, here's some additional things to add to what the Bible says. He doesn't do that. That's not how the Holy Spirit works. So if an angel appears to somebody and says, here's an additional revelation, or if, or if a, a voice, uh, somebody goes up on a mountain and hears a voice speak to them and says, write these things down and teach them to your children and future generations, and it doesn't square with what God has already revealed to us in His Word, then I say, whoa, hold on now. You may consider that sacred writing for your culture and your group, but it's not Jesus. It's not the Holy Spirit who's revealed that because the Holy Spirit doesn't speak on His own authority. He doesn't make up His own words. He tells, He declares, He speaks to us exactly what he hears from Jesus and exactly what he hears from the Father. Why? Because of the last thing he, he does. The Spirit comes to us. The Spirit convicts. The Spirit guides. The Spirit speaks. The Spirit glorifies Jesus. Verse 14, He will glorify me, for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. That's how he glorifies Jesus. He doesn't speak on his own authority. He glorifies the one who sent him by saying, this is what Jesus' words are all about. This is who he is. This is what he's done. And verse 15 he says this, All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Just in case there was some confusion in the disciples' minds about the relationship of the Father and the Son, in Jesus, just in case they were a little confused about, are you really the Son of God? Are you really God in the flesh, Jesus? He puts that to rest over and over in John. And again here in verse 15 when he says, all that the Father has is mine. There's no distinction between us. I and the Father are one. We are one. We are one God. And here I am before you to declare to you and, to, and then to send the Holy Spirit to continue to speak to you. 
and He's going to glorify me in that. What are we believing in? <laughs> what are we doing? What are we practicing? And is it glorifying Jesus? Is it glorifying Jesus? If it's not, can we get rid of it? Can we get it out of our lives? It doesn't glorify Jesus, so I'm going to stop doing it. It doesn't glorify Jesus, so I'm going to cancel it. <laughs> I'm going to change my plans. I'm going to change my habits. I'm going to change my patterns and the rhythms of my life. What can we do? What can we do? What does Jesus want us to do? What does the Holy Spirit want us to do in response to this message? I think He wants us to, number one, receive the Holy Spirit. <laughs> the Holy Spirit comes. We should receive the Holy Spirit. And we do that by faith. We do that by putting our faith in Jesus, saying, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Um, Jesus, I don't believe in you the way I should. Jesus, um, my righteousness isn't good enough <laughs> for you, for, your, for, for God. Um, we say, Jesus, um, I have judged incorrectly. I've judged you incorrectly. I've judged your people. I've judged the church incorrectly. And I need you. And we say, I believe in you. I believe in Jesus. I believe in what he's done. I believe in his life lived perfectly. I believe in his death for me on the cross. I believe that he rose from the dead. I believe and I want my life to change. Help me to change. This is kind of way, I, that's how I'd put it. It's pretty, it's, maybe it's a little bit rambling. Um, it's maybe not as theological as it could be. But it's the truth. We receive Jesus in that way and we receive the Holy Spirit in that way. We allow the Holy Spirit to convict us. Um, we talk about sin and almost every time we talk about sin, something will come into your mind. A sin that you're dealing with. A sin that you've dealt with. And you're thinking, okay, there it is again. Will you let the Holy Spirit convict you to the end Will you let the Holy Spirit to convict you of that sin and don't let it go and don't walk out of here going, yeah, I felt a little uncomfortable, but I'm glad that's over. Now I can go on with my life. Would you let the Holy Spirit do the work of showing you that that sin has no place in your life and then pointing you to Jesus and pointing you to His forgiveness and pointing you to His righteousness and His, uh, His power? that He works in your life to overcome that sin? Will you allow the Holy Spirit to guide you? Will you listen to the Holy Spirit? Will you follow the Holy Spirit in His work? Will you live by the Holy Spirit? Every day. Every day saying, I need you. <laughs> I, I want to glorify Jesus, but I don't have the ability to do that on my own. I need help. Every day. We need that. I need that. I, I need that. If you've thought that, if you've ever thought, um, boy, I really, you know, um, I think Michael, he's, he's, got, he's got this kind of Christian thing all down because he's the pastor or this and that. Um, I don't mind disappointing you. 
and by pointing out that I'm, I'm as jacked up as they come. And every day, I have to go, Jesus, I'm, I, I've made a mess of things again today. I said something to my wife I shouldn't have said. I treated my, my girls the way I shouldn't have treated them. Um, I thought those thoughts that I shouldn't have thought. I, re- I didn't do the, what you wanted me to do, or I did what you didn't want me to do. Every day. That's just the reality of it, apart from Jesus. Apart from Jesus, I'd be like the world. I'd be, I'd be lost in my sin and my disbelief. Without Jesus, I'd be lost in my own righteousness, which is nothing but, you know, monthly throwaways. If, without Jesus, I'd be, I'd be lost because my judgment is so pitiful. I don't have discernment. I don't have judgment. Uh, Holy Spirit, he, he knows. Without Jesus, I'd be a soup sandwich day in and day out. But with him, with him, I have the righteousness, I, his righteousness. So when God looks at me, he doesn't go, Man, that Michael, he's always screwing up. Drives me crazy. I, we got to kick him out of the army. God's army. But he doesn't do that. He looks at me and he says, I see my son in Jesus. I see, my, I see the righteousness of my, my beloved son in him. And when we're in Christ, that's what he sees in us. Praise the Lord. Thank God for sending the helper to give us that, to show us that. And to enable us to live the way He wants us to live and to glorify Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for speaking to us. Thank You so much for um, giving us uh, direction, for guiding us, um, for speaking to us. Thank You so much for glorifying Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that that you will help us to respond the way you want us to respond. God, you will guide us over the next few weeks. Uh, guide us as we as we work as a as a church to um, to share Jesus, both in our own individual lives and witnesses, and as well as in uh, the various ways that we we gather together in the way that, ways that we serve others. God, I thank you so much for what you're doing, for what you have done. I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you for the grace of the cross for my life and for each of us, God. Continue to be with us. Guide us and direct us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.